Well, hello there. You are listening to Dream Infringement on KSKQ. We've been entertaining the Rogue Valley since 2016. Dream Infringement is comprised of three friends, Jennifer Woodside, that's me, and radio power couple Emily and Bobby Castillo. We like to tell stories and play songs based on a weekly theme of our choosing. Dream Infringement is on Mondays from 6 to 7 p.m. Today, though, it's just me on the show, and hopefully you'll spend the next hour with me. And as the theme chosen for today's show, well, have you ever had that moment, like in the song, Some Enchanted Evening, you will see a stranger across a crowded room, and then you'll know. Sometimes you do see someone and something about them just captures you completely. Your imagination, your heart, your sense of whimsy. And if you're a singer songwriter looking for inspiration, then you might just write a song about it. And these are some of those songs and stories where people glimpsed another or just slightly knew someone and wrote a song about it. Who were these inspirers of songs? Well, we'll delve in Frenchers. Yes, we shall delve deeply. The inspiration for this theme is a story I remember one of my friends telling. She was at a bookstore, reading, drinking coffee, doing her thing, and suddenly this guy came up and said, Lipstick marks her coffee cup. And she looked up at him, just very confused, and he continued, Lipstick marks her coffee cup. With a smile, she looks up. And yes, it's what you're thinking, an aspiring poet in the wild, free range, using his rhyming skills as a way to get girls. He did not, in fact, get that girl. When I was 16 or so, I would have thought it was really romantic, but... The older I get, the more I really don't want strangers reciting poetry at me about me. So I guess you just got to read the room and know know your audience. Nobody read any poems to me. Thank you. That is all. With that important public announcement now covered, let us go onward to hear stories about musical inspiration. The song Bohemian Like You by the Dandy Warhols came out in 2000. Lead singer Courtney Taylor Taylor said the song was inspired when he saw a woman in a car stopped at the traffic light below his apartment window and began to fantasize about a relationship with her. He said, My silly little brain ran amuck with the dream of love and vintage motor malfunctions. It was only natural to weave it into a song on the spot. And I bet this woman never knew. No idea that she drove by a musician and was the basis for a hit song. And listening to the song, I get it. We've all had those friends, right, that just go with the flow, who seem very unconcerned about planning for anything and just figure that things will work out basically the antithesis of someone like myself. Let's go ahead and roll that song. This is Bohemian Like You by the Dandy Warhols. Cause 
song Little Thing by Dave Matthews came out in 1999, and I couldn't find that much information about it. If there was more background story, either I did not have the right formula of search terms for Google, or he just never talked about it that much. This song was always really interesting to me. I always liked it. It tells the story where he sees a girl, and after a brief conversation with her, he he loses her in the crowd. He looks for her, and then thinks about what could have been, and it begins to haunt him a little bit. And then the song turns into this really mournful kind of reflection of life, where he sings, you're with me like the ghost of a mother, you're with me like the pain of a father, I wish I could call you something other than the girl that I saw then. And he says, but oh, weighted by the memory, the memory of a love that never got born. So anyway, let's hear my depressing song. Uh, <laughs> this is Dave Matthews with Little Thing. Lost, lost, I can't remember what I used to be, but I In 1994, R.E.M. released the hit, What's the Frequency, Kenneth? And the title is a reference to an incident that occurred back in 1986, when CBS Evening News anchor Dan Rather was walking to his apartment in Manhattan one night when he was attacked by two men on Park Avenue, with one of the men repeating, Kenneth, what is the frequency? Kenneth, what is the frequency? at him through the attack. Dan Rather said at the time, I got mugged. Who understands these things? I didn't and I don't now. I didn't make a lot of it at the time and I don't now. I wish I knew who did it and why, but I have no idea. Seems like a very New York mugging kind of statement to make. I think I would have been a little more excitable. And some people didn't even believe his account of the attack. But eventually that phrase, Kenneth, what's the frequency, became kind of a pop culture statement, which led to R.E.M. using it as a song title seven years later when they created the song in 1993, What's the Frequency, Kenneth? It was released on September 5th in 1994. As a song fact, guitarist Peter Buck explained why the song slows towards its conclusion in an interview, he said, Mike Mills, the bassist, slowed down the pace, and we all followed. And then I noticed he looked strange. It turned out he had appendicitis, and we had to rush him to the hospital. So we never wound up redoing it. As I said, this was released September 5th in 1994, and nobody had any idea till years later that only five days beforehand that the man that assaulted Dan Rather, William Tager, had been arrested for killing a Today Show stagehand named Campbell Montgomery. Tager had attempted to enter the studios carrying a weapon, and Montgomery died preventing him access to the studios. Police were able to apprehend Tager after the shooting. William Tager believed that NBC was beaming signals into his brain, and that was also his motivation for attacking Rather. He was saying, what's the frequency? What's the frequency? 
that NBC was using. And he carried this delusion for at least eight years or longer, given that the time between attacks was eight years. Uh, but it wasn't until 1997 that they were able to put the pieces together that the person that attacked Dan Rather was also the person that killed Campbell Montgomery. I'm sure that would have really changed how they released their single, maybe even if they would have released it, had they known that the person they were singing about had committed a murder five days before it got released. Perhaps it was better that they didn't know. I'm kind of interested to hear how the guitar and bass tempo changes during the second half. Let's see if we can catch it when that happens, when the acute attack of appendicitis strikes. And <laughs> now, now we'll know when it is. So here is REM with What's the Frequency, Kenneth? What's the Frequency, Kenneth? The show bends a dream. Hey There Delilah by The Plain White Tees I'm going to write a song about you. That's how Tom Higginson put it to sophomore Columbia University student Delilah DiCrescenzo in 2002. They met through a mutual friend at the House of Blues in Chicago and kept in touch. Just friendly conversation because she had a boyfriend. And when the Plain White Tees came to perform in New York that fall, she and her boyfriend went to see them. And at that point, Tom made that declaration, I'm going to write a song. And although Higginson admitted that the long-distance relationship between the two in the song was fiction, he did tell her that he'd written a song about her in hopes of impressing her. He since stated that he wrote the song as a sign of romantic interest. So the song found its way to her doorstep when she was home for break. She says Tom came by to drop off the CD. He said, don't listen to it until I leave. I couldn't believe he followed through. My brother Nick and I listened to it together in the basement. My first thought, oh no, did I lead Tom on? I became anxious. Tom and I had a friendly relationship and... I wondered if he misconstrued my actions. He put so much effort into this song, I felt guilty, like, I'm such a wench. When my dad heard the lyrics, Oh, what you do to me, he said, Delilah, exactly what did you do to this guy? For a while, it was our secret. The song didn't get good airplay until 2007, then it took off, eventually reaching number one on the Billboard charts that July. And that's when the questions came. Is this a true story? Does Delilah actually exist? I didn't want the spotlight. I was nervous that I'd let Tom's fans down. They'd be disappointed to hear, I have a boyfriend. Every girl would want a song written about her, and they'd think I was ungrateful and rude to deny Tom. Then one day my friend, Laura Wozniak, volunteered me for a radio interview. I was like, Laura, I'm going to kill you. But I went for it. I did the interview. And then the requests poured in. The Today Show, USA Today, People Magazine. I know Will was relieved. He'd been defending himself to his friends. They were like, um, aren't you two together? 
It was a relief for him to see me on national TV and say, I'm with Will. If it wasn't for me, I'm sure Tom would have been inspired by a different girl and written an amazing song about her. As far as I'm concerned, I was in the right place at the right time. As for Tom and I, we still keep in touch. Maybe he didn't get the result he originally wanted, but he got a hit song, two Grammy nominations, much more than he would have gotten out of a date with me, that's for sure. So anyway, let's hear this absolute work of fiction called Hey There Delilah. Oh, what you do to me? What you do to me Hey there Delilah I know times are getting hard But just believe me girl Someday I'll pay the bills with this In 1992 The Smashing Pumpkins released the song Starla Starla was the name of a girl Billy Corgan met in Dallas When they were on tour And he thought her name would be great For the title of a song then, two and a half years later, he met the same girl at a party, and he asked if she'd heard the song they recorded using her name, and she said her name was Darla, as in Darla with a D. Oops. Well, they still got a song out of it. I hope it wasn't written to impress her, though technically, I think you would still be impressed. Like A for effort? What's on your mind? It's clear. Summer of 1962 in Rio de Janeiro at the Veloso Bar. A block from the beach at Ipanema, two friends, composer Antonio Carlos Jobim and poet Vinicius de Moras, were drinking beer and trying to collaborate over a new song. Though they both were married men, there was some ogling, especially when it came to the local neighborhood girl, 18-year-old Haluisa Neda Menez Paspinto. She was a karaoke, a native of Rio. She was tall and tan, with green eyes and long wavy hair, and the two men had seen her pass by as she was headed to the beach or coming home from school. They saw her a lot and she had a way of walking that Demoris calls sheer poetry. They were trying to collaborate on a musical comedy about an alien who comes to Earth and I guess he's a woman? I don't know the full plot. I don't think it ever really took off. Um, so they were trying to write something called Manina Que Pasa, The Girl Who Passes By. And they were running short on inspiration. And then they thought about something that they thought found very inspiring. A certain 18-year-old that walked by the bar frequently. And so they wrote a song basically about her and they titled it Garada Ipanema. Astrid Gilberto was the wife of singing star uh, Chao Gilberto. And she was with them when they went to record this song in New York City in 1963. Chow and Joe Bim were making the record with tenor sax man Stan Getz, and they thought of cutting a verse on Ipanema in English, and Astrid was the only one of them who spoke more than phrasebook English, 
she had kind of a unique style and they liked it. It became very famous. Astrid was never really recognized or paid well for her role in this, though she did do some singing and collaborations throughout her musical career. She's currently, she's 83, and she lives in Philadelphia. And over the years, Halo, nickname Pinero, married name, enjoyed countrywide fame as being the girl from Ipanema. She ranked with Pele as one of the Goodwill Ambassadors of Brazil. She never really settled on an occupation. She dabbled in acting and then running a modeling agency. In 1987, uh, she was in a certain clothing optional magazine and then appeared again in 2003 with her daughter. She has a very different relationship with her daughter than I have with my mom, for sure. Um, and then she opened the Girl from Ipanema clothing boutique in a Rio shopping center. She is currently 77, and she lives in Rio de Janeiro. And if you want to see her, she appeared in the second season of The Amazing Race, and also in America's Next Top Model Cycle 12 for a modeling challenge in Brazil. Maybe they show that, that famous walk that was the inspiration for the song. Um, I'm actually really curious. I'll probably end up watching it because I did research her a lot for this part. So let's hear this song written by two ogling older men, such as it is. Um, though it seems like she did make a career out of it. So I guess it's so, uh, yeah, I don't know. No, I... No comment, no further comment. Tall and thin and young and lovely, the girl from Ipanema goes walking. And when she passes, each one she passes goes. Money for Nothing by The Dire Straits. According to the lead guitarist and singer Mark Knopfler, the lyrics were inspired by a trip to an appliance store in New York. He described the writing of the song in a 1984 interview with critic Bill Flanagan. The lead character in Money for Nothing is a guy who works in the hardware department in a television custom kitchen refrigerator microwave appliance store. He's singing the song. I wrote the song when I was actually in the store. I borrowed a bit of paper and started to write the song down in the store. I wanted to use a lot of the language that the real guy actually used when I heard him, because it was more real. Mark Knopfler was once a reporter working on the Yorkshire Evening Post. He told Uncut Magazine that his journalistic experience fed into this song. I was reporting verbatim what a particular guy thought about music. He said, I transcribed his words there and then. He was a meathead. To him, being a rock star was easy. Hence, that ain't working. I didn't find any word that the alleged meathead stepped forward to say, like, hey, that was me. <laughs> you got those song lyrics for me. Now give me money because I would also like my money for nothing and my chicks for free but I didn't see any account of that happening. So anyway, let's hear the song. This is Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Look at them yo-yos, that's the way you do it. You 
play the guitar on the MTV That ain't working, that's the way you do it Money for nothing and your chicks for free Now that ain't working, that's the way you do it Although it wasn't released until 2006, Gogol Bordello frontman Eugene Hutz said the band's breakout song, Start Wearing Purple, was actually written in 1995. He said in an interview, it's one of the very few songs I wrote for a girl. I just moved in with my girlfriend in New York. We had a neighbor, an old woman who was always dressed in purple head to toe, and she was clearly bonkers. So whenever my girlfriend and I had an argument and she would start screaming at me, I would say, you might as well start wearing purple now. So I guess shout out to the woman whose favorite color was purple, who was neighbors to the frontman of a gypsy punk band. I guess she'll probably never know. So yeah, In October of 1973, Dolly Parton released Jolene as the first single off her studio album. The inspiration actually had two different sources. First for the name Jolene, uh, which she discovered from a young fan. She said, one night I was on stage and there was this beautiful little girl. She was probably eight years old at the time and she had this beautiful red hair, this beautiful skin, these beautiful green eyes, and she was looking up at me holding, you know, for an autograph. I said, well, you're the prettiest little thing I ever saw, so what is your name? And she said, Jolene. And I said, Jolene, 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 Jolene. That is pretty. That sounds like a song. I'm going to write a song about that. And then the origin of the story comes from a bank teller who was obviously longing after Parton's husband. She had this terrible crush on my husband, Parton explained, and he just loved going to the bank because she paid him so much attention. It was kind of like a running joke between us when I was saying, you're spending a lot of time at the bank. I don't believe we've got that kind of money. So it's really an innocent song all around, but it sounds like a dreadful one. So let's listen to Jolene by Dolly Parton. Jolene, 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 Jolene. I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. Jolene, 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 Jolene. This Grammy winning pop song charted at number one the same week it was released in 1981. That was Rick Springfield with Jessie's Girl. But was there a Jessie? Was there a Jessie's Girl? Kind of. While taking an art class, Springfield befriended a guy named Gary, who was dating a girl that Springfield secretly had a crush on. He never made his feelings known, nor even spoke to the girl that he was quote-unquote panting over from afar. He eventually lost touch with the couple. But he didn't forget Gary's girl or the feelings the situation evoked in him. And the result was this song. And I, yeah, Jesse's girl is more catchy than I wish that I had Gary's girl. It just doesn't 
have the same effect, does it? I will say that I always found this song kind of weird. Like, why are you obsessing so much over this guy's girlfriend? Like, maybe focus on someone else. So I feel a little bit better to know that, I mean, he never even spoke to this girl. It maybe wasn't as bad as the song makes it sound, maybe. Anyhow, here is Rick Springfield with Jesse's Girl. Daddy's holding her in his arms late, late at night. seem like Lord's first hit single was about how she would never live up to the riches and fame of a monarchy, but she actually said in an interview with VH1 that her 2013 song Royals was actually inspired by a photo of Kansas City Royals baseball player George Brett being hounded for autographs by fans. I get it. Kansas City Royals Ah, baseball player. So let's take a listen to Royals by Lord. Jet planes, islands, tigers on a gold leash, we don't care. We aren't caught up in your love affair. And we'll never be royals. Royals. It's a run in our blood. That kind of luck's just ain't for us. We crave a different kind of bug. Hello, I Love You by the Doors was written in 1965. The lyrics are said to be inspired by Morrison's observation of a very young and beautiful African-American girl at Venice Beach. Organist Ray Manzarek insisted that she was too young for him, which resulted in Morrison going home and writing down what he would have said to her. The line in the song, Do you hope to pluck this dusky jewel, is a reference to the young girl's skin color. So let's take a listen to Hello, I Love You by The Doors. Hello, I love you, won't you tell me your name? Hello, I love you, let me jump in your game. Hello, I love you, won't you tell me your name? Hello, I love you, let me jump in your game. We just hit the end of the show. Thank you so very much for spending an hour with me and tune back in next week. Mondays 6 to 7 when I will be rejoined by my partners in radio excellence yep if you want to hear some of our back catalog of episodes you can find us on SoundCloud or iTunes or any kind of podcasting type app just type in dream infringement I hope that you will be listened to by you again to but what no we will i hope we will be listened to by you again there that's that's the one <laughs> in the future we'll catch you next week thank you so very much for tuning in don't forget to go to the kskq.org website and check out some of the other amazing producers and shows that we have on the lineup bye